said I was gonna wanna take this because I'm speaking from the heart, right? Brother. Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. This week, Jacob Tender has returned to talk all about Frank Ocean. This is something that Jacob has wanted to do for a while, but I've honestly been slacking on listening to more of Frank's new stuff, but I've finally done that. And Jacob, are you excited to be talking all about Frank Ocean today? Yeah, it's about time. (laughs) We can definitely always blame me for most of the delays (laughs) on this podcast because I am really bad at doing things in a timely manner, apparently. You consume a lot of entertainment. (laughs) This is true. And I have slowly been trying to unsubscribe from podcasts that I have sort of either just lost interest in or I have multiple podcasts that sort of cover the same thing on an almost weekly basis. So Mm -hmm. it's just been hard for me to part with some of the Relay FM shows because I really like all of the hosts there. So I haven't, you know, gotten rid of any of those so far, but you know, the ones that were like covering The Bachelor and Bachelorette, I was like, okay, <laughs> I cannot do this. You're a sports podcast. Why are there Bachelor <laughs> Bachelorette episodes in here? <laughs> so, you know, I got rid of a couple. And then, you know, as always, there's always more podcasts coming out. And I'm like, can you yeah. people just please stop for my sanity? <laughs> you know, but in the in the weeks preceding my vacation two weeks ago, I was, uh, was kind of saving podcasts up you know, kind of storing a backlog. So I had stuff to listen to on the way down there. And then when I'm just like hanging on the beach and, you know, just trying to get a tan and just kind of laying on a towel, um, I I wanted to have something to listen to. So I saved all these things up and then I didn't listen to any podcasts all week long. And so (laughs) my vacation was during WWDC. Okay. Which is of course when like all the tech shows that you and I listen to are going, you know, like nuts. And that's when like all the big stuff is. You'll either be proud or horrified to hear that I deleted every single tech podcast related to WWDC this year. I just skipped it. I think, you know, that takes some courage there. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, I just figured like, okay, if I'm going to listen to one, I feel like I, I kind of had to commit to at least listening to all of one show. But I feel right. like I got enough of a wrap up just from like the text posts and, you know, people highlighting the stuff that actually matter. I got a lot of that anyway. So I didn't feel like I needed to listen to people talking extemporaneously about it for hours at a time. Um, at least not this year. There just wasn't as big of a draw. Yeah, and I've finally almost committed to 2x because I have smart speed on. I have it on the notch before 2x, so it ends up being 2x or 2x plus more than half the time anyway. So that has helped me get through them a little quicker because I was only at like 1.7, I want to say. Yeah. And it's kind of painful editing the podcast now because I'm like, I want to sound faster. <laughs> now, I reckon, and, I reckon, you know, this show's this show's pretty good, but I reckon Marco doesn't listen to it. But if Marco is listening to this, I, I have beef <laughs> with him. He added a three X option, and that's just cool, yeah. man. Because like now, I feel like I got something else to work towards. I've been using two X for like two or three years now, and so now I got this this three X option, and that seems pretty fast. But I have a feeling that I'm gonna work my way up towards that. I, I don't know, though. Like, listening to it, it does sound too fast. Like, I think there is a too fast option. Like, too fast for the <laughs> human brain. And I think that might be it. Yeah, I mean, once I made the move close to 2x there, I found myself having to really adjust to it at first because I was like, wait, what did they just say? And then, you know, I have it 30 seconds back and forward on Overcast. So mm-hmm. then I'm just like, okay, 
now I have to wait like 10 seconds and then that's what I want to listen to. And then, you know, we'll be, we'll be good. So it's definitely been a little bit of an adjustment, but. Can you set the, the skipping time? Because I, I think I have mine set for 30 seconds forward. That's generally just to skip ads, but then I have it set for 15 seconds backwards. So if I go a little too far, I can hit that 15 and just go back like half a step. Yeah, I think you can. I just have not done that for whatever reason. I should probably put it on like 10 or 15 or something like that. Deanna, every time I come on the show, we just end up talking about podcasts for like I know. a half I'm hour. I know. I'm sorry. We, we should be <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So our main topic today, and well, our only topic today, aside from this little banter here, is Frank Ocean. And we're going to just go through his career sort of in chronological order here. And Jacob, I know you worked on some Frank projects lately, and we will definitely touch on those too. But I don't know much about Frank's career before his first really big mixtape dropped. So why don't you give me and the listeners a quick rundown on his songwriting and demos that he had before that? Okay, yeah. Um, I think it's probably good just to to put up top um, uh, this project that I've been working on. It, it's it's basically like a master list. Um, so D will probably put a she'll put a link in the the show notes. I'm sure for this, and you can click that and you can kind of follow along. I try to to put as much information about Frank as possible in there, and it's 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 not listed chronologically, so you'll have to skip around. But it is uh, it's separated by I guess chapters, um, just sections. You know, studio albums, visual albums, mixtapes, singles, features. Uh, it's kind of broken down, so you can kind of follow along that way if if you're interested in, in kind of seeing a visual representation of what we're talking about. But, um. Let's see. Uh, to go back before his first, you know, major label mixtape, which was Nostalgia Ultra, um, it, it's sort of a fun time. It's a lot of time. It, it's a time period that I've been spending a lot of time in within the past couple of weeks, putting together this new mixtape project that I've been working on. Uh, I, I guess it kind of starts in two thousand eight. Um, in in two thousand eight, uh, you know, Frank's pretty young at this point. He sells his first song as a songwriter uh he was going to the university um of new orleans i believe he was he was living in new orleans and going to school and you know when katrina hit uh he had to move out of there and he ended up going to la at least for a short period of time and he ended up staying there so um that's when his songwriting career kind of kicked off and he he wrote a song called i fell for um noel Gort, gordon noel gordon i believe his name is and uh it, it's a pretty decent song uh but from there stuff kind of escalated. He ended up getting in contact with Brandy in some way. And he wrote a song called first in love for her. And then from there, he wrote another song featuring Brandy for John legend called quickly. And from here, it, it just kept growing. He wrote songs for Bieber, Beyonce, the internet, Brandy again, Bridget Kelly, Alicia Keys, Connor Maynard. And, and at this point, he started recording some of his own music. He was actually picked up by uh, a manager for Def Jam called, uh, his name's Triggy Stewart. He kind of, you know, recognized uh, Frank's talent as a songwriter and also as a performer, and he signed him to Def Jam. And he, he heard the vocal performance of Frank through these demos. Um, they're not necessarily demos for Frank's own songs. In fact, a lot of them are not his own songs. They were like, uh, they're like reference tracks for other artists. So there's a collection called the Lonnie Bro Collection, and in that it's it's a huge mixtape. It's it's 64 tracks long. Um, it's this huge collection of reference tracks that have been leaked out over time. It was put together, I think, originally by some of the guys at the Kanye Tuva 
forum, and they did a great job of uh, pulling stuff together that was found online. And um, over time, you know, other people contributed to it, and they added more and more. So depending on what copy you downloaded at what point, um, there could be a difference in the track list. But the full final version as of today is 64 tracks long, and it's just a bunch of songs that either Frank wrote or co-wrote uh, or just did the vocals for. So these could be songs that other people had written and that he just did the scratch vocals for. And this is essentially what they would pitch to artists. So when you pitch a song, you don't necessarily just send them the lyrics because like you want to pitch like a full song to major, major label recording artists. So, so what he did was, you know, he, he would record these scratch vocals and they would send uh, basically a demo to the artist right. and and that's how they would pick it up and that's how he, he landed all these features you know with bieber and and beyonce and that's kind of how he got into the game essentially so um the lonnie bro collection is a really great place to go back and listen to what frank sounded like before um it's maybe not the best representation of his artistic avail- ability because they're not all necessarily tracks that were written by him but then fast forward another 10 years or so. And, uh, I started finding more tracks, you know, more songs that were floating around the internet for a really long time. Uh, some that have kind of been pulled from the internet, whether it be by management or the label. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff that's out there that isn't included on that tape. So I put it together in a collection called undocumented rare, and you can find that on my blog. Um, it's, it's pretty long. Also it's 40 tracks. It includes, uh, it includes all the tracks that he put out himself on his Tumblr, um, a couple of, of remixes that I believe were actually sa- sanctioned by Frank's camp, um, a couple of features that you can't purchase anywhere. That's that's kind of my main thing. It's all stuff that you can't buy. So it doesn't include all of his odd future stuff, his uh, John Mayer track, um, none of the stuff from Watch the Throne. It's just his stuff and there's some older demos in there that i actually believe are are, like fully frank tracks you know for example there's one about his brother which i is one of my favorites it's called orion um so i I put this together so essentially if you're interested in listening to frank ocean before he really uh started recording as frank ocean then you're going to want to get the lonnie bro collection and undocumented rare and then at that point you'll know that you have essentially everything that is available online that you can listen to before his career, his solo career really took off. Yeah. And I definitely downloaded those. I just have not made my way to them yet because 104 (laughs) tracks is a lot. (laughs) It is daunting. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, between his four releases too, and I mean, Endless doesn't really have a track list or anything on Apple Music. So I don't Mm -hmm. know how many tracks we would consider that but blonde is 17 tracks Mm -hmm. and i think channel orange was 17 tracks as well not counting any bonus tracks yeah so he does have these long albums but some of the songs are you know like interludes or only a minute or two or something like that so it makes it easier to get through and when you were mentioning the demos and everything it's sort of like when you have songwriters who are in a publishing house and they basically just sit in the, I don't know if they necessarily sit in the publishing house all day, but they write songs specifically for the publishing house and then they pitch them to the major label artists and everything like that, or just other artists in general. So in hip hop, it's, I think it's a little different 
just because I don't think they utilize a publisher or a publishing house in quite the same way. Yeah. Especially when you're first making beats and, you know, writing your own lyrics and everything. But it is true that you can't just be like, here are some lyrics. Hope you like them. <laughs> it's it's an interesting time, and I wish I knew more about it. There's not a whole lot out there about that time. And, you know, Frank Ocean, uh, if anybody knows anything about him, it's that he's fairly mysterious and um, reclusive, I guess, would probably be the right word. I mean, heck, he was he kind of disappeared for you know, about three or four years where we're waiting for this new record. But back in that time, you know, he was working with uh, producers like Midi Mafia, who's, you know, grown to a pretty good level of success. Um, the Cartel, Brian Kennedy. A lot of the tracks on the Lonnie Bro collection were produced by a pretty small number of people. So it could have been a thing where, you know, he's specifically working with these producers to, to you know, do songwriting and uh, production co-writes and, and you know putting those things together um it could be a lot of things I, it's a lot of information that i wish i knew but unfortunately i i doubt that something will ever get from him because it's it's not necessarily something that he likes to acknowledge he did once on his tumblr um i, I can maybe send Deanna a link for that but he basically just said you know that's all it was all just stuff for his songwriting it was just you know scratch demos it wasn't actually frank ocean track so he he won't acknowledge this stuff as as frank ocean music and in a way it's not it was recorded under the name lonnie bro so it's not frank ocean stuff but it's still interesting to look back to yeah definitely and i'm sure you and i will probably discuss it whenever i manage to get to it hopefully (laughs) it'll be soon i might have to you know take the lonnie bro collection and sort of (laughs) do like 10 or 12 tracks at a time and then return to it because I think with things that are more like demos and these other productions and everything you don't necessarily need to listen to it top to bottom like I would with an album yeah no in that collection too like I I honestly couldn't tell you my favorite tracks in that at all like I, I could probably pick out like maybe one or two that I like but uh I'm not like super familiar with a lot of the stuff on there. And, and and actually some of the stuff on there isn't actually sung by him. So as you're listening through and you're like, okay, this doesn't really sound like him. Um, it, it may actually be sung by somebody else. You generally, somebody unnamed. Um, yeah. But it's generally implied that that song was then written by him. Um, actually a great example on, on that track, there's a, a, a song called dying for your love and it features Frank Ocean, a.k.a. Lonnie Bro at the time, but it was sung primarily by James Fauntleroy, who went on to be a massive songwriter. He's written songs for everybody. Um, okay. So he you know, he was a collaborator with James Fauntleroy for a really long time, and, and that ties into a track uh, on Channel Orange that we can talk about later. Yeah, and I think what a lot of people don't necessarily realize, too, is that even though some of the people who record these songs are songwriters themselves, they might not be the ones who came up with that particular song. Because I know while I was at Drexel, Hmm. I met the woman who worked on Empire State of Mind, Hmm. which I believe is the one with Alicia Keys, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So she originally sang Alicia Keys' part, and then they pitched that to them. So it was just really cool getting to see sort of that process and meet these people who have actually done this thing before. Yeah, I met a guy who was uh, is weird. He he's kind of an older guy. He came in to talk to one of my my classes in in school, 
and he's from the Nashville area. He's a songwriter down there, older dude, but he was asked to join the group, Group Love. Okay. And he, he didn't take it, <laughs> which at the time, like, was was like crazy to all of us because group love was really really big in like 2012 2013 so that was kind of neat but um he was talking about you know how he uh had met kenny chesney in a bar once and you know he's talking about songwriting and and kenny chesney basically is like look man i i don't i don't write any of my songs i'm really bad at it (laughs) like i'm a i'm a decent singer and I, i like to collaborate with people and stuff but i'm really not a great songwriter and so it's crazy to think about, you know, a superstar like Kenny Chesney, like massive career, but he's going to write his own tunes. It's it's not an uncommon thing. Yeah, especially in mainstream music more so because, you know, these labels and publishers will sort of just have these songwriting machines, especially in pop music. Like we know Max yeah. Martin and all those people are sort of the go to pop writers and everything mm-hmm. like that. So I feel like when you're not in sort of the small to mid-sized bands anymore or artists you just it's like everything you know about songwriting goes out the window <laughs> it's a it's a weird industry that's for sure yeah definitely all right well why don't we go ahead and start diving into some of these releases from frank and we're going to start with nostalgia ultra here Mm-hmm. So I actually hadn't listened to this album first. I didn't really know about Frank until Channel Orange. And then yeah. I went back and listened to this. And I also love how you kind of have a similar car there in the album art. <laughs> yeah, no, Frank's a big, uh, he's he's a big fan of the BMW, specifically like the, the, the E30. So they're, yeah. they're cool cars. Yeah. So what did you first think of this album when you heard it? And did you already know about frank when this mixtape dropped um no i did i mean the first i'd i'd heard about frank ocean was with nostalgia ultra i can't remember honestly i wish i could but i I can't remember who told me about it um i reckon it was probably james shotwell honestly or or maybe i read about it on a blog because it was during the time when i was posting a lot of news so i was following a lot of the blogs and kind of picking up on stories and stuff so um yeah i mean Probably like the singles, like Swim Good and Novocaine were probably the first tracks that I ever heard. Okay. This whole like tape, this like we call it a mixtape because it was never officially released in its full form by Def Jam because there were a bunch of licensing issues, specifically yeah. with a song called American Wedding, <laughs> because it's essentially uh Hotel California. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but uh it's not even like remixed. He just kinda used the instrumental and then rewrote his own song over top of it. It's a cool track, but it caused a lot of issues. And there's like two or three songs on here that were basically Coldplay songs remixed and then you know, <laughs> rewritten. So it's it's a mixtape. And there was supposed to be an official release called Nostalgia Light um, that came out. And it was, it was just like a smaller subset of the songs that were on Nostalgia Ultra. Uh, but these were, this is like the first release by Frank Ocean. He changed his name from Lonnie Bro to Frank Ocean and he put this out. And, uh, that's, yeah, I mean, that's where I came into it first, but, you know, like you say, you got into Frank Ocean first with Channel Orange and worked your way back, which is totally fine when people, you know, ask, uh, the Reddit, there's a a pretty dedicated fan base on Reddit and people ask, you know, how do I get into Frank Ocean? Where do I start? Um, it's a great question because there's a lot of phases in Frank Ocean's career. And I think that starting with Channel Orange is a good idea because that's the record that really put him on the map. I mean, he won a Grammy for it goodness sake so it's a pretty great record to start with but um diving back into 
the mixtapes, whether they be the unofficial ones or the one of official one that Frank released um, through Def Jam or Odd Future, however you like to look at it, because you can find the the full version through the Odd Future website. Um, yeah, it, it's it, it's a good tape, honestly. Like I don't I don't really love the production on it a lot. Um, I don't listen to it very often. I'm not as big of a fan of songs like Love Crimes as I think uh, a lot of Frank Ocean fans are. But there are some really good songs in there. I really like Strawberry Swing. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that song. And then, of course, the singles Novocaine and Swim Good are really, really good. Um, but it's a, it's a relatively short mixtape. So if you want to just kind of like listen back to where he first started with this this project of his, it's a good good thing to listen to as well, I guess. Yeah, and I think to when I think of mixtapes, sometimes I'm just like, okay, is this going to sound like something that's cohesive or mm-hmm. is it just going to sort of be all over the place? And I didn't feel like this was necessarily all over the place. I feel like he had something he wanted to do and he yeah. set out to do that with this. So for me, it was sort of just nice being like, okay, I can see where some of these later songs sort of come from and everything like that, especially on Channel Orange, which was only released about a year later. Yeah, I think with Nostalgia Ultra, he found this format that he kind of liked. Um, he you know, it actually uses like the sounds of like a tape recorder. It sort of sounds like a mixtape. It's assembled in that way. On Nostalgia Ultra, there's like uh, three or four tracks, and they're named after video game titles. So like Street Fighter, Metal Gear Solid, and um, GoldenEye, I think. Or th- there might yeah. be another one, but I, I think that's it. And, uh, and those are just like interludes and they kind of have like interesting little sounds that, that put it together and make it sound like one flowing cohesive mixtape in a way. And he reused that concept again on channel orange. Those, those sounds are still there and there's like the sound of, you know, switching stations on the radio. And so he, he sort of took that format and used it on his, uh, first full length release on Def Jam called channel orange in 2012. Yeah. So Going right into Channel Orange then, you see he definitely takes that format because literally the first track on Channel Orange is called Start and the last one is End. And those aren't necessarily tracks. They're more like the interludes and everything. Mm -hmm. Although, I guess for Start, it would be more of like an introduction, not an interlude since nothing came before it. Yeah, it it has like that that starting sound when you press play on an old tape cassette and uh and then it flows into thinking about you to start off the record yeah and i think he nails that first song choice there after his little introductions in both of these releases too because you know obviously think about you was released as a single i don't remember if it it was first or if bad religion came first i'm really bad it's at the uh orders. yeah technically it was first it's that thinking about you actually has a, a really interesting story he originally wrote that for bridget kelly and it, she okay. actually released it as thinking about forever um so it, it was it was actually not really his song anymore in a way it was i don't really know what the licensing was for that i don't I, i'd have to look that up but he wrote the song for bridget kelly she released it but he had his own version and he really liked it. He put it on his Tumblr and it was only up there for like a day. If that, I don't think it was up there for very long. Um, I think I actually put the original version or the earliest version that I could possibly find uh, without some of the additional orchestral instrumentation on it, on the undocumented rare mixtape. So you can get it there. But 
he put that on his Tumblr. It kind of took off. A bunch of blogs posted about it. He got a lot of press about it. It was really good. People loved it. It, it was getting more press than Bridget Kelly. So what he ended up doing was he kind of he kind of kept it. Even though she used it, she, he thought, you know what, I'm going to use this too. So he took it back to the lab. He added a little more instrumentation, dressed it up a little bit more, and then re-released it as a single. And, uh, and that's, that's what drew a lot of attention to Channel Orange to begin with. Yeah, and that's sort of something that very commonly happens, I want to say, in country music, where the singer-songwriters who write a song and, you know, hand it off to one of the bigger artists will also have their own version on their album. Most recently, I saw it happen with Humble and Kind, which is a Tim McGraw song, but mm-hmm. Lori McKenna wrote it, and she has a version on her album yeah. that she released. So I, I think if you are the writer of the song, you sort of have that liberty to also release your own version. I don't know the exact details of it, but I feel like writers do get a lot of, you know, the credit there. So yeah, there was that, if... uh, there was that country version of that Michael Buble song home too. Yeah, I think so. I There's so many songs called that. home yeah. though. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a big Buble thing growing up. So I, when I heard that on the country radio years later, I was like, Oh, okay. That's, that's interesting. I, I heard another song on the radio recently um, I can't for the life of me remember what it was though, but it was like another country take on a popular pop song. So okay. I, it's always weird when that happens. Cause I'm not sure if, uh, the case in those, in, in those situations is like the country singer was the original writer of that song. Cause a lot of country singers come out of the songwriting area. Like that's generally yeah. where a lot of them get their start. So it could be that kind of thing, but yeah, that's what, yeah. that's what happened here. I mean, sometimes it is straight up just covers because I know Reba covered, a Beyonce song once and I highly doubt Reba wrote it. <laughs> so there are those moments too. But with Thinking About You, a lot of people ended up covering this song. I think it was mostly, you know, YouTube people because I don't know if you know who Tori Kelly is. Yeah, of course. Yeah, she's on the, if you look at the bottom of my thing, I have a section called Covers and Related and Tori Kelly is on there like three times. She's a huge fan. Yeah, she did an amazing cover of this song and she's she's not from necessarily my area but she's from southern california so i was very familiar with her and i think the combination of frank releasing that and then tori covering it is sort of what really got me interested in this album and i actually remember that i was interning at fearless records the summer that this came out i believe it was my first of two summers interning there and this album was like all the interns wanted to talk about which (laughs) is a little sad when you're interning at a record label and there's other releases you probably should be talking about but (laughs) a lot of people were talking about this and it was definitely you know living up to all of the hype and everything when it first came out this record came out in a weird time in my life where I was still working in the music industry, but my sister was kind of growing up and she was getting her own musical taste. So I I used to give her all of the music that she had. So whatever she listened to was essentially a subset of what I already had. In most cases, it was like Jason Mraz, The Starting Line, Bayside, and Punchline. I think those were like the four bands that she really liked that I, I kind of gave her. And then at a certain point, she started to figure out how to find music by herself. So (laughs) after a while, she actually passed me up, but there was this like small period of time where I had graduated. I was in college, but she was still in high school, but we both loved Frank Ocean. 
and Channel Orange was kind of like a, a weird little record that we shared where we kind of both found it independently, but loved it at the same time. So that was kind of a neat little experience. Yeah, and it was definitely really interesting getting into this album too, because while Think About You and Bad Religion were getting radio play and everything, it wasn't like anything else you were hearing on the radio at the time, Mm, because you could definitely tell that there was a lot of that songwriter gene in Frank. And I think when, you know, the songwriters and country music release their own albums, you can tell they have this totally different take on how they write the songs. And then, you know, you can tell how much a producer comes in and sort of changes things up, not necessarily lyric wise, but just the sound of the song in general. And I think, you know, Frank is one of those guys where he has a very specific sound that he uses, but you don't really hear too many other people using it. And that might simply be because they're not songwriters like he is. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely like an oddball as far as pop musicians go. Like, right. I don't think any song on Channel Orange really fit the radio vibe at the time. I think Thinking About You was probably the most single worthy. But when you look at a song like Bad Religion, that song was it was pretty big. I, I mean, I wasn't really listening to the radio at the time, but I knew it was getting play. But it's, it, I mean, that song is depth and it's definitely not a pop song. You know, it's, it's a it's a weird kind of somber ballad that has a lot to do with what he wrote about in his open letter where he kind of, you know, came out and opened up about his sexuality. So it was a really powerful song, but it wasn't necessarily like a huge pop hit yet. You know, a lot of people liked it and, you know, found a way to resonate with that song. And, uh, and it's just weird. Like he, he grabbed this huge portion of people. He he just amassed this gigantic fan base in 2012. And then in 2013, once the record was out and, and, you know, he was able to tour on it and play shows, he only did a few. He only played a couple shows on this record and it drove people nuts. Cause like he, you know, he was playing, uh, he was playing shows with odd future. You know, he was touring with them and like doing a couple features here and there, but mostly just kind of touring with them. And then he only did a few, continental united states solo shows and then he did some in europe i think and uh he played a couple new songs there that ended up being on blonde years later and that was about it so that's when like the silence kind of kicked in it was it was a weird time because everybody you know in the pop world and the mainstream music journalism journalism world loved frank but he wasn't a traditional pop star in any sense Yeah, it's definitely very odd to me when artists will drop these albums that end up being really, really big, and then you're just like, but I can't go see you live. So (laughs) sort of, you know, what's going on here? And after this album, we get a pretty lengthy break from him as far as releasing his own solo stuff and everything. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this has been happening a lot more frequently with pop artists because, you know, look at how long we waited for the second Bleachers album and the second Lord album after they had these, you know, huge first albums and everything. So it's it's really interesting to me to see those things happen because 
majoring in music industry, it kind of made me realize how much of a machine the industry mm-hmm. really seems to be, especially yeah. with these big mainstream artists. So I'm just like, how did their labels even let them take breaks for this long? Because you would think, yeah. you know, they they want their money every 18 months out of you. <laughs> no doubt. I, you know, I think in a lot of ways, major label recording artists who are able to take that time, I think they're super lucky. And I think yeah. major labels are are starting to see that they're able to give their artists a little bit more time than before because, well, one, there's so much talent out there and so many people recording music that they can just sign some more people and so they can stagger releases more. And it's not as imperative that their biggest stars release a new record every year. Like, just look at Maroon 5. They, they've put out a lot of music, but their uh, recording schedule has certainly tapered off over the years. Right. You know, it, it's not quite as frequent. And from 2012, when he put out that record, um, there's not a whole lot out there. There's a bunch of features, like a lot of odd feature features featuring Frank came out in like 2012 or 2011 through 2013, mostly. Then there's the stuff that, you know, he worked with uh, with Jay-Z and and Kanye, uh, John Mayer, Beyonce, like with that that group of massive recording artists. He did all of those features probably in around the time of 2012 to kind of support his record but then after that there's like nothing he did this like yeah. converse thing for uh with mick jones paul simone and diplo it, it's kind of cool they covered frank or they covered uh, a song called hero um that came out in 2014 but i'm sure that was probably recorded prior too so there's this huge gap if you really think about it stuff came out in 2013 2014 but really most of that was probably recorded in 2012 or very early 2013 so from that point until the life of Pablo, there's like nothing. And who who knows when that was recorded, you know? Like Kanye could have been yeah. sitting on that forever. <laughs> that could have been left over from Watch the Throne. So there was a huge period where he was just apparently doing nothing. But I don't really think that's the story, you know? I, I think that there's more to it than that. And I did a, a kind of a little bit of a study after Blonde came out, kind of outlining what we knew and comparing that to what has come out since to kind of get a sense of, you know, what we had heard about, what leaks there were and stuff and and what made it to the record, what didn't and when things really happened. Trying to establish a timeline. And it's really tough obviously because there's there's no real record of that, but if you listened back to interviews, what few there are. And I have links to every single interview that Frank's ever done on the website. Uh he recorded an interview with Zane Lowe back when he was still with BBC. And he said that he had like 10 to 11 tracks done for his new record. And that was in 2013. That was like right after channel orange came out, you know, within a year he had most of his next record done, which indicates to me that there was something more to his prolonged absence than not writing or not being able to create something worthy of release. I think that blonde was actually finished in 2013 or at the latest early 2014 and should have at least come out in 2014 but got held up probably because of his issues with Def Jam. Yeah and for anyone who might listen to Frank but not necessarily pay attention to songwriting credits and all of that he easily could have just sustained himself on writing these songs for other people during that time period that he took off from releasing his own stuff and you know I think a lot of people don't realize just how much money some songwriters get because (laughs) there are especially in 
country and hip hop, I want to say there's always sort of this group of writers that sort of just write for everyone. And Chris Stapleton might be a good recent example of this because he was writing hit after hit after hit. And then he finally released his own stuff and people loved it. So it's just one of those things where some songwriters are perfectly fine just writing for other people and taking their probably pretty large paychecks from that. And then there are some who still want to sort of release something that is solely their own, basically. Yeah, no, for sure. Chris Hamilton is a really good example of that. And there's, I think you're right, in country music, a lot of songwriters just write for other people forever. And some of them yeah. can't sing. So, you know, they never actually right. like come to the the spotlight for themselves but it's a pretty good place to be if if you're like a a musician and you like to create music i honestly think the best place for you to be is like a, a quality songwriter somebody actually who does a good job and and writes quality songs that end up getting picked up by other artists or a studio musician i i think that's those are probably like the safest place to be as long as you're you're creative and you're you know, talented, I guess. Yeah. And you could even be a touring musician too, for the Mm. solo artists that don't have, you know, bands, so to speak. So they just go hire a bunch of people like Taylor Swift hires a band, you know, it's not like they're necessarily in the studio writing with her and everything like that. No, they're not. (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) Now there's, there's a lot of really cool scene examples of people that ended up doing that. A lot of people from like our, our racket, like the Warped Tour alternative music scene. Um, Yeah. Like half of the people from uh, A Rocket to the Moon ended up joining like country music bands or artists or, or however you really want to think about that. Like, um, someone Justin from Richards. Go Radio did that, yeah. No, a bunch of those guys did those, like, you know, the kind of southern pop alternative people. Uh, Go Radio yeah. is a great example. Um, My Favorite Highway, uh, A Rocket to the Moon boys like girls they all moved to nashville and then they all started playing for people so they're playing for people like uh florida georgia line and dan yeah. shay you know they're all out there doing that kind of thing and it's crazy it's so weird to see that because you know you see like dan smyers who was from the christian pop pop punk band transition that i used to watch on like my amish tv music video station that only <laughs> played christian music and I'm like, oh my gosh, Dan is now a huge country star in a duo called Dan and Shay. And it's it's awesome. It's so cool to see. But it, yeah, it's interesting to to see people change those routes and continue doing music, but do it in a completely different way. Yeah. And I just specifically remembered the Go Radio guy from interning at Fearless because they were on the label and everything. And then it's like all of a sudden he's a roadie for Florida Georgia Line and then he's a guitarist for them now. So I forget the guy's name, but he's definitely from Go Radio. And it's just like weird when my worlds cross like that because I was like, wait, but like country was over here and no one I knew liked it <laughs> sort of thing. The, the dude from Monty R.I., I don't know if you remember that band, but I was a massive no. fan of Monty R.I. He, uh, he's like, he's been the keyboardist for 30 Seconds to Mars for like a couple of years. Interesting. It's <laughs> yeah, it's massive. Oh, and uh, and Isaac from um, A Lot Like Birds and a bunch of those other bands and that kind of like uh proggy instrumental mathy stuff um on like uh, blue swan records like he plays with seal in seal's touring band isn't that so weird yeah (laughs) this conversation is getting weirder and weirder as we talk about it more (laughs) it's yeah it's odd but anyway where were we 
Where, where'd we go? Oh, yeah. Frank disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> Frank disappeared. And people started talking about other stuff. Um, yeah. But then uh, he kind of came back eventually. He released Channel Orange 2012. Sort of disappeared for a while. People were wondering what's going on. And then in late 2016, after like months and months and years and years of fake outs with release dates and, uh, and stuff like that, he finally puts out a visual album. Yeah. On Apple Music exclusively. Yeah, and that is an interesting choice to me because I went to go listen back to Endless today and Mm -hmm. it plays the video when you want to listen to it. And it's like I went to lock my screen and it stopped playing because it wasn't Mm -hmm. going to show me the video on the lock screen. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. So then if I, you know, hit the power button and just hit play on my lock screen, it would start playing again. But it was a little frustrating as a listening experience (laughs) because... The video isn't, you know, super exciting. It's sort of just like random things happening for, you know, what is it? 46 minutes and change, I believe. (laughs) And, you know, it's not something I wanted to sit there and stare at. So I was just like, all right, well, I'll just move it over to my phone instead of having it up on my laptop and everything because it like wouldn't let me not play the video. (laughs) And it's just a really weird choice. And I know on your list here you have a track listing for it. So I want to ask you, where on earth did you find that? Because on Apple Music, it literally just says endless 46 minutes and change. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, if you you watch endless, if you actually watch the video for 42 or 43 minutes, um, it, it replays the device control track that you hear at the very beginning which is not frank ocean it's a it's a artist and and actually he's a photographer named wolfgang tillmans i think he actually did the shots for the blonde cover um he put an ep he's i i can't remember what what country he's from he's european and uh he put together this like kind of techno track about digital devices (laughs) and like and recording frame rates and it's just a weird a really weird techno track he used that to start endless and to end endless so if you actually listen through the full version of the final track device control reprise there are credits and in the credits there's a lot of cool artwork and there's also a track list so the track list is what you use to to sort of determine what the names of the songs are what the big debate has been for a long time and you can find many different versions and many different zipped folders on many different uh file sharing websites it's how you split up the tracks it's where which song ends at what time you know it's it's kind of tough i the the version that i have is what i'm most uh comfortable with it's the version i think is actually the most accurate as far as how the tracks are split up it really doesn't matter either way. Like the tracks all play the same more or less. Um, right. But yeah, there is, there is a track list to it, but you're right. It's, it's hard to listen to, but in the weeks, I think it's like the two weeks leading up to it, there was movement on a website that he had set up. He had teased a long time ago that he had a new record coming out and that he also had a magazine. And the, uh, the caption on that magazine was I've got two versions and nobody knew what that meant. Nobody knew if that meant that he just had two different covers for the magazine because you could see those, but there technically ended up being three covers of the magazine once everything was said and done, or if there was two versions of the record, or if that was the beginning of his idea that he was going to release two records. And that's what ended up happening, and Endless was technically the first one to come out. But if you go, according to my theory, my timeline of events, Endless is technically 
LP number three. It's his his third full length record. If you break it down, take it out of its visual album format and make it a full length record. If you want to count right. it as a as a Frank Ocean record, I believe it to be Frank Ocean record number three. Yeah, and that's how I was looking at it too. And I do want to mention this article that I found when I was just sort of browsing around Frank Ocean news and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it's from hotnewhiphop.com. I don't really frequent this site at all. It's just what Good came site. up. And it's it says the full version of Frank Ocean's Endless Video is 140 hours long. So we got yeah. a 40-minute version. <laughs> and it's not 140 minutes. It says hours. And I read that and I was like, but why? And then I was like, but it's Frank Ocean. <laughs> so at the same well, time, okay. it was just like, I don't know if I believe it, but at the same time, I could possibly believe it. <laughs> well, here, here's like, here's the short version of that story. This came from an interview with an artist called Tom Sachs, who I actually was aware of before the endless thing, weirdly, because he was the guy who mentored Casey Neistat. Okay. So if you're familiar with Casey Neistat, like the, you know, one of the biggest vloggers on YouTube, he's a huge deal. He moved to New York. He was living there for a while and he started working under an artist named Tom Sachs. He and his brother, Van. And Van still collaborates with Tom Sachs. And actually, if you get a copy or find a PDF version of uh, Frank Ocean's magazine, Boys Don't Cry, uh, Van Neistat is actually in it, which was really weird when I was flipping through it. I'm like, holy cow, there's Van. Um, sort of worlds collide kind of thing, but he did an interview Tom Sachs did with pitchfork and he kind of, he talked about this 140 hour long thing, but what a lot of people kind of miss on this is that it's actually not like, it wasn't like Frank ocean. It was, it's not like there's a 140 minute version of this that nobody has ever seen. There's a 40 minute version. And then there's like the, the clips that were recorded by fans while there was a quote live stream going on for the week prior which was basically just a loop of several different videos with him working on uh various bits of his woodworking project which uh comes to a head in the final version of the music video but if you pay attention in the the final version of endless there are different copies of frank walking around in the video at the same time you know somewhat sometimes overlapping like walking over each other so when they say there's 140 hours of footage there definitely is but that's Frank working on this woodworking project, they recorded all of it from a whole bunch of different angles. So if you consider all of those different cameras and all the footage that was recorded with all of those different cameras, that's what they're talking about with the 140 hours that was edited down and spliced together. So you yeah. could get the final thing where there's different versions of Frank working on different aspects of the project at the same time in the same studio. Yeah, that makes sense. And I didn't by any means think there was, you know, 140 hours of music out there. I no, they definitely meant <laughs> no. like just video itself, not yeah. not music, because that would that would be crazy. It's like, okay, Frank, you have been working this entire time. <laughs> Don't get me wrong; I would love to have all 140 hours of that footage. If anybody has access to that, or if it still exists, I would love <laughs> to see it because I've been one of the things I've been working on with this Frank Ocean archival project uh, is record, you know, trying to track down all of the footage that people recorded from the original endless live stream that I possibly can. And it's really hard because, you know, only a couple people did it out of the subset of people that were actually paying attention to the website at the time. And I should have done it. I don't know why I didn't. It was just something that didn't cross my mind at the time. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But now I'm trying right. to collect all of that. And I would love to see all that footage just because I'm a dork. But really, there's there's no reason because <laughs> I'm sure a lot of it got used and spliced together to to make the final thing. 
Yeah, and I think there was not necessarily a lot of confusion when Endless dropped, but people were a little surprised by what the final product ended up being. And then there was all this speculation about, you know, what was going on with Frank and his record label and everything like that. And Mm -hmm. then next thing you know, we're getting blonde on top of this. And I think literally the next day, maybe. Yeah, it was the next day. Yeah, it was it was within like 48 hours, but technically the next day he dropped blonde. Yeah. And this was definitely more of the album format and everything like that. It wasn't a visual album or anything. So you then get Blonde, which is another 17 tracks from him on top of the, you know, going on your track list 20 that he did for Endless. Right. Yeah. I mean, technically it's 20. It depends on how you split it up, but that's kind of. Yeah how it is close enough but no he he put out endless and everybody kind of thought like oh this is the record and it was good you know some days i actually think endless is better and i I go back and forth because really you don't need to compare the two but a lot of people try to decide like which they like more i think they're both great but when blonde came out i was like oh okay so what is this and that's when i started questioning what the timeline was because blonde sounded more like channel orange than endless did and that's when I started right. piecing things together, and that's why I think Blonde was probably recorded a long time ago, and it's just you know was at that point just coming out. Yeah, and it's always interesting to me too that when artists sort of just sit on a lot of songs, and I understand it in a sense because there is a point where you could probably release too much music and while you and I might not Mm. feel that way about Frank Ocean I think we've definitely seen some artists do this and it's just like people sort of get burnt out on them and they're hitting you know the same cities too frequently almost and it's just one of these things that can end up in a total disaster but I think with what Frank did because we got that four-year gap people were still really excited to get you know twice as much music for him two days in a row yeah yeah no I think so too you know the mystery was still intact I think after after those two records came out because maybe some people thought that once the new Frank Ocean record came out he would be you know more active again and he would start touring and stuff that's not really what happened you know he put out endless to get out of his contract with Def Jam. It was originally released on Def Jam. If you look on iTunes now, it looks like the label has changed. I don't know if that means that he bought the masters back because I know at some point he did buy the masters to channel orange and to, uh, nostalgia light or ultra, whatever. Um, it was considered when Def Jam owned it. So right. he, I, I think he actually ended up buying that back, but he released that. I think technically, to get out of the contract and to allow him to release Blonde, the the true second record, on his own, on his own label called Boys Don't Cry. So, I, like, I, like I say, I think maybe some people expected to be more active after that, and he wasn't really. Like, he, he started releasing a couple singles here and there through his Apple Music radio show, Blonded, which is really great. It's sort of like a it's a collection of songs that either, you know, inspired Frank or the people that he trusts to, to host the actual program himself. Um, I've got a, I've got a, a link on the website to, to some of the like exclusive clips that came from Blonded, like interludes and stuff, you know, if you want to get that nitty gritty. Um, but also a list of the new tracks that came out 
through the show. So these are songs like Slide, which I, I'm sure a lot of people have heard on the radio at this point. It's kind of a big jam. It's by Calvin Harris. It features Frank and Migos. Um, and then Chanel, Biking, the Biking solo version, Lens, Lens version 2, uh, Raph version 1 and Raph version 2. I think one of those ended up being put out as a single by ASAP Mob. Um, but the nice thing about Blinded Radio is that he always plays like the the other versions like going kind of harkening back to what he teased i've got two versions well on a lot of the songs that he's put on uh blonded radio there have been two versions he also put out a new version of slide on me which was a track from uh from endless but this one featured young thug so he's definitely active like he's still making music and i'm putting out singles but he kind of keeps that mystery in that way you know he he's putting out these new songs every single time he puts out an episode of blonded but we never know when Blonded is happening. And right. if you go to the, the Frank Ocean Reddit, it's full of people just speculating <laughs> when Blonded Episode 7 is coming out. They're all just waiting for it. It's kind of fun. Yeah, and I had heard about him having that on Apple Music, but I haven't really used any of the radio stuff on Apple Music, even yeah. though a lot of good stuff comes out of, you know, like Zane Lowe's show and everything like that. Like, I will see bands smaller bands that you and i listen to that will get these big premieres on mm-hmm. zane low and i mean i know someone who works for beats one i don't know if you know matt baldwin at all no, but um he's dating emily hakes and that's how i know him and he works for apple and just you know got promoted oh, cool. and moved to new york and everything and he works on beats one stuff basically so i don't know if he has any sort of say in what gets premiered there or not (laughs) so you know don't go bothering him guys because i definitely do not know but i know they definitely do some awesome work there and i probably should start checking that stuff out more frequently because i feel like apple just hasn't really promoted some of the non- Zane Lowe and the couple other D- big DJs that they got and everything. And there's a lot of cool stuff in there that people just don't necessarily know about. Yeah, no, there's cool stuff. I've been a Zane Lowe listener for a really long time. Listened to him a lot, you know, a lot on, on Radio 1 when he was there. But, uh, you know, his show's good. I don't really listen to the radio in general. And that kind of applies to Apple music's radio like beats one radio station as well um right. i do listen to some of the shows on occasion primarily blonded i'll listen through each of those episodes but i'm not like waiting for every episode to come out like when it comes out it comes out and generally i'll just listen to it the next day i'm not like waiting up every night to see if a new frank ocean song premieres if it comes out great i'll <laughs> i'll listen to it in the morning or i'll probably end up getting some notifications about it from the frank ocean whatsapp but it's uh it, it's a it's a cool thing. I think that the, the the Beats One Radio is definitely awesome. It's a cool thing to have as an option. I think a lot of people who listen to Pandora probably really enjoy it. People that like randomized music, um, kind of giving their control away to you know to to people in the music industry that know what they're doing and curate really good music, like all of the hosts on on Apple Music do. Um, it's cool for that. It's not necessarily how I like to listen to music though. So I'm kind of in your camp. Yeah. And it's cool that with Blonded and the other shows, you can go back and listen to them later. It's not like, you know, once they air, they're gone. And I think that was really smart on their part, just because I know they have someone like over in London, I believe doing a show and everything like that. London, LA, New York. Yep. 
Yeah. So with the time differences, it's like, you know, if I want to listen to the London show, I'm in California and those times do not line up nicely at all. I believe it's like a eight hour time difference or something like that. Yeah. That sure. sounds about right. <laughs> I have no idea, <laughs> you, but sure. <laughs> you would think I would have these time zones down, you know, podcasting with people all across the United States. But when it comes to overseas, it's <laughs> still a little iffy there. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a cool thing for sure. Um, I don't, I don't know. I guess I don't really don't have that much to say about it. I, w- I should probably listen to it more often. But like I say, it's just not really how I listen to music. I like to control my stuff. And generally, I'm an album listener rather than like a playlist or a single listener. But uh, to your point, it is nice that those episodes are on demand. So you can actually listen to the entire entire thing, including the parts where the host kind of comes in and, and puts stuff in. Or um, in the case of Blonded, like the skits or the interludes. Like, for example, um, on Bl- Endless, there are two interludes called ambience one and two and on blonded uh he premiered the third one which you know isn't like a huge deal it's a it's a short instrumental track but it's still cool and then there's like an instrumental version of the blonded theme and um experiences was another track there's an alternate version of biking that didn't premiere on the the show but was on the blonded website and then there's actually a short interview between Frank Ocean and Jay-Z where they talk about the modern state of radio. So you can go back and listen to that stuff. But if you just want to hear the songs, like the selections that Frank and his hosts have made for that particular episode, they have playlists for those as well. So you can go on Apple Music and you can check out just the playlist and kind of skip through and, and listen to some of the songs. Yeah, and I think the radio format probably works very well for him simply because of the fact that he already puts these skits and interludes into his albums. So that seems like something that is right up his alley, and that's probably why he wanted to participate and do that. But to take it back to Blonde a little here, Hmm. I don't know if this bothers you at all, but why is there no (laughs) E in Blonde on the album cover and it has an E in the (laughs) actual title? I just want to know. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's a great question because there's there's technically two different album covers for Blonde. There's like the, the normal one with uh, Frank and his green hair kind of covering his face. Um, and then there's the Boys Don't Cry magazine version, which has uh, Frank with you know, like this, this racing helmet on both have the blonde spelling without the E. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Technically it's, it's blonde with an E, but I don't know the reason for that. (laughs) I was just curious because I've, I'm always like, okay, wait, is it spelled with an E or is it not spelled with an E? (laughs) You know, when I went, I think it's just part of that. Oh, go on. When I went to type up the notes, I was like, I'm just going to put it with an E because I don't like how blonde looks without an E. Yeah, no, it's it's just part of his aesthetic and part of his mystique, I think. It's just like another another thing for his fans to talk about on Reddit for hours. At a yeah, time. <laughs> I don't think yeah. I want to talk about it quite for hours, but I think it's more of a thing that's just going to bother <laughs> me because I don't understand why he would do that. Yeah, no, it's it's it is weird, but it's fun. It is uh, uh, one of the cool things about Frank Ocean is that he really he inspires a lot of creativity in other people, you know, whether it right. be musicians like Alessia Cara or, um, Kevin, or you doing this Brock giant Hampton, list <laughs> or me doing this giant list. Yeah. This, this gigantic archive of his life as a recording musician, but there are a lot of people who do like fan art and stuff. That's, that's really good. It's not just like, you know, weird like drawings or like fan fiction. Like people are, are really talented and it's been cool to see, like the, you know, the alternative artwork that people make and the, uh, you know, the Frank Ocean inspired music. In fact, like one of my favorite releases this year 
was this mysterious tribute to Frank Ocean's Blonde that came out, but it was entirely in like classical piano. Somebody redid the entirety of Blonde from from Nike's to Future Free all in classical piano and it's beautiful. It's so well done. And I listen to it all the time. It's fantastic. I, I want to know who it was who was actually behind it, but it's uh it's it's really, really cool to see all the fan art that's come out as a result of specifically Blonde and Endless. It's just it's really staggering to actually because I've never seen that sort of outpouring of creative you know output just from fans regarding one musician before. It's really neat. Yeah, and I think with Blonde and these new singles that he's released recently, people are probably going to start to want more from him again soon here because, Hmm. you know, Blonde was what, in August last year, I think? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was towards like the end of August. I don't have the date on on memory, but um, yeah, it was in the latter half of the year. I think it was August. Yeah, and it is curious to see if he does start releasing music more frequently not being on the label now because I feel like while major labels can provide stuff for mainstream artists that you normally can't get as big as Frank already Mm -hmm. is just releasing this through Boys Don't Cry like he did with Blonde probably won't be an issue for him especially with everything being extremely digital these days it's like you know you and I can put songs up on Spotify Mm -hmm. and Apple Music and everything pretty easily. And there are even services that let you do it for free. So it's not like you necessarily need a major label for streaming distribution, maybe still for physical distribution, if that's something you want to do. But you can also just put it Mm -hmm. up on your web store and sell it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The the Louis C.K. method. Yeah. Well, I think he has a lot of freedom right now. I think he's enjoying that. You know, he's... Yeah. Um... I've been kind of toying around with this piece that I, I kind of plan on writing. Somebody asked me if they thought that, uh, or if I thought that there'd be a second issue, a second volume of Frank's magazine. And I think okay. that's an interesting question because I don't, I don't know Frank Ocean. I don't even like to pretend that I, I think that I do, but um, I can kind of put myself in his shoes in, in certain situations where he's trapped in a, a contract with this record label. That's not letting him do what he wants to do, you know? And I've been in a situation like that before running a website that's owned by somebody that's really not giving us um, any support or any really like creative control. And I know the mindset that I was in in that situation when I get, you know, frustrated and I feel like I'm being kind of stopped by the man, so to speak. Yeah. So like I you're think boxed in his magazine. Yeah. You're boxed in. And I, I think that his his magazine was sort of a, a result of that where he created this record. I think, you know, he had this record done and um, maybe that, you know, that frustrated him because he wanted it to be out. He wanted to release it. He wanted to put it out there, but there were forces in power that were kind of putting that off to the side and kept pushing it and pushing it. So he, he put together this really fantastic magazine with photography of his, his own and his own writing and, and, uh, and, and collaborations with, uh, you know, friends like Tyler, the creator, Kanye, um, Tom Sachs, Wolfgang Tillman. It's like a bunch of people collaborating on this one big thing, something that's different than his music. And he put that out there. And I think that freedom, um, that he has now may not require him to make that second issue of the magazine. I'm not sure if there will be a volume two because maybe he doesn't need to do it. Maybe that's not, you know, part of 
what he needs to do right now to feel creatively fulfilled. But what I think he is doing is he's being more selective with what he does, but he's doing, he's doing singles now, which he never really did before. Any single that he put out prior was something that he put on a record or it was a demo of sorts that he put on his Tumblr, like memorize or, um, well, you are love ended up getting reused for endless, but he was putting out songs on his Tumblr that never got used for anything. They weren't like fully developed songs. They were just sort of, things that he just wanted to put out there and i think he's kind of back to that point but on a larger scale he's able to collaborate with people um he's he's done songs with asap rocky uh tyler the creator and jay-z travis scott young thug he's working with you know these bigger artists that he admires which i like Uh, you know the collaboration between frank ocean and these other people is interesting to me and it's something that i look forward to i love i love seeing him work with other people i love his features on things i think he really shines in a lot of those features um i think frank ocean being able to create again and having more freedom is definitely good for his fan base i think it's going to be a really interesting couple of years to see what he actually does yeah i definitely agree and with how streaming and everything is now, it's totally fine to just release singles and, you know, never really have them appear on albums later if you don't want to. And his partnership that he's had with Apple Music definitely helps him out with that because mm-hmm. he can just sort of, you know, feed these things to everyone through Apple Music. And I think he's someone who can definitely get more customers for Apple too. And I think I just read somewhere today that Jay-Z will be releasing a new album and it's only on Tidal when it comes out. And of course, yeah. I don't think, you know, Tidal has quite the sway that Apple Music does because personally, no. yeah, I like Jay-Z, but no, I'm not going to go get Tidal just to listen to his <laughs> album because I did the free trial and I think I lasted maybe a day or two on Tidal before I just was like, yeah. nope, we're done. <laughs> You know, I'm not like a huge Kanye fan, but I was interested to hear The Life of Pablo. And of course, that was a title exclusive, too. And I I didn't get the free trial to try it out. I'm like, you know what? Eventually, it'll either come out on something or maybe I'll never hear it. And I've never heard The Life of Pablo in its entirety. I'd like to at some point, but I I haven't yet. And title isn't enough of a draw for me. I I think we actually talked about this before when we did our episode on Apple Music. But yeah, yeah, Frank's, Frank's spot on Apple Music is good. I think where it falls short is with endless um obviously where it's only officially available as a visual album is a major drawback to people even if you do have an android phone um and you can get apple music to listen to it it's still not necessarily convenient (laughs) so if you want to listen to it in album form you have no choice but to resort to piracy so you know what are you gonna do especially (laughs) if you don't want to stare at the video the entire time too because I couldn't even, like, search Apple Music on my Mac while the video was playing. Yeah. I was like, why are you not letting me, like, just browse around? Oh, yeah. Just the other day, like, that, that same issue was bugging me. And I've, you know, I looked around the internet just to see where Endless has been made available in visual album form. Because I do like to watch the video on occasion. I think it's it's interesting. It's Frank making stairs for anybody who right. hasn't watched it. He's literally <laughs> yeah. just in a workshop making stairs, which is kind of cool, I guess. Uh but there's no like 1080p avail like version available on the internet. You can find like really crappy 480p things. So the other day, I just I ripped it from Apple Music and then stripped the DRM so I could watch it whenever I want without having to use the 
the full screen mode in Apple Music on my Mac, but yeah, I, I know your struggle, and it's a struggle of a lot of people. There's a lot of people every single day on the Reddit asking where they can listen to Endless because they don't have Apple Music, or they want to listen to Blonded because they don't have Apple Music, and it's tough unless, like, you know, people are ripping it and putting it available on sites like Mediafire or Zippy, Share, or whatever it is that's popular these days, like, it's tough to listen to unless you're a subscriber to that service. The exclusive game stinks in that way. I'm just lucky that I have a subscription to the service that he uses. <laughs> right. And I think for me, what I would love to see is the option to not play the video for something like that, because <laughs> yeah. I tend to multitask when I'm listening to podcasts or music or anything like that. And I feel like I don't need a... 46 minute video like turning on the fan on my laptop just because it's like using a little more effort to play the yeah. album for me and it's just one of those things i mean like you said you and i did an episode all on apple music and while we have our qualms with the service it's definitely the one that i really feel like is the most geared towards how people like you and i listen to music and mm. while I wish they would do a few things, and I did just download the beta for iOS 11 on my iPad today, so I listened to all of Blonde on there. And I know I sent you mm. a screenshot of some weird little thing that of that bug, yeah, yeah, bitch. and it it fixed itself on other songs, so it, it was just oh, weird. Gosh, I was like, why, why why is this line here? Why is it over the little magnifying glass for search? And what it's is this beta. design? <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. I know that, so I'm a little more forgiving of these things, but there are definitely changes coming to Apple Music for anyone who didn't, you know, pay attention to the keynote or anything, which was quite long because they put a ton of stuff into the keynote, which that's a whole other topic for a different day on Apple and keynotes <laughs> and stuff like that. But I another think... reason why I skipped WWC DC this year, I just skipped right over all of it. And guess what? I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> See, I did the opposite. I like consumed all of it because I sat there and I streamed <laughs> the keynote on my Apple TV. And then I still listened to all of our tech podcasts talk about it. Plus, you know, I, there might be some podcasts that I listen to that you don't, I don't know, but it was it was a lot probably. of WWDC. <laughs> Knowing you, Deanna, probably that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. Instead of listening to all the WD, WWDC stuff this year, I just bought a new iMac. That's what I did instead. <laughs> See, I wish I could do that right now, but I would literally drain my bank account doing that, and that would not be very good. <laughs> not so, saying I didn't do that either, but <laughs> it was a long time. Coming. Yes, but you have a job right now, so I think you can make up for it a lot faster than I can. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I think we've, I mean, we've kind of caught up chronologically uh, as, yeah. as far as Frank Ocean's discography goes. What else do you want to know? You've got a, a huge Frank Ocean dork here who's been <laughs> spending almost all of his free time, chrono, you know, just like archiving every possible scrap of Frank Ocean that there is on the internet. What do you want to know? I want to know if you think that these singles mean we're getting something big from him soon i know that this is obviously a whole lot of speculation because for mm -hmm. a lot of the artists and bands that you and i follow they tend to be on you know the smaller to mid scale like i said earlier and they tend to have release plans and i'm sure you probably still get press releases from your under the gun days and everything like that 
And so it's like, okay, hey, we're going to have a single. And then there's usually a music video and another single for a full length. And, you know, a full album stream or EP stream comes out the week of. And there's sort of this formula to how a lot of these artists release their music. But with Frank, it's very hard to tell what he's going to do now. So (laughs) with these few singles that have popped up here and there, do you think there's a good chance that we could see something from him? If not, by the end of this year, maybe early next year in an album form? I think the earliest is 2018. I have no facts to base that on, but right now he's doing his festival tour. Uh, He canceled a bunch of the shows, but he's still doing a few more. I'd imagine that there's probably going to be some more shows by the end of the summer. Uh, He's putting out these singles on Blonded. I I have a feeling he'll probably have features on some records this year. I think within the next month or two, we're going to get new records from Jay-Z and Tyler, the creator, and he almost always does some sort of collaboration on one of those. So I think you can definitely expect more music from Frank this year. I don't think that we can expect an album for... A little while i think he takes his time with those and he really likes to obsess over the details on those things if you read any of the interviews with the people involved with endless or blonde there's a huge amount of detail that goes into every single one of those records lots of takes um lots of reiteration every single record that frank puts out is because it's done in his terms ever since channel orange like it's been very he's very decisive on when it's done and when there's still work to do. So I don't imagine we're going to see another record from Frank this year. I think it's going to be some time, maybe 2018 at the earliest. It's hard to say now that he has that freedom. How, how long does it actually take for Frank record to, or Frank ocean to release a record? I have no idea. Um, we're in uncharted territory right here. This is open ocean. Yeah. And on your site here, you have audio interviews listed and he's done three of those with Zane Lowe so far. Do so do you think with his relationship with Apple Music being what it is right now that mm-hmm. there's a very high likelihood that, <laughs> you know, Zane Lowe would be the guy getting this sort of exclusive look at whatever comes next for Frank, whether it's an <laughs> album or just more interviews? Well, okay. Here's the thing. Uh highly speculated on on the on the Reddit. There may be another Zane Lowe interview with Frank Ocean out there. Okay that just never made it onto the beats one. Um, it's tough to say Zane loan has been asked in person, whether or not there's another Frank ocean interview coming. And he generally just looks at the person who asks and winks. So <laughs> it's hard to say like his interviews are always great. And the ones with Frank are, are really good. They're no exception, but it's hard to say. I mean, I I'd love for there to be one regarding endless um, specifically just because I have a soft spot for that re- record and it is tied in with the Apple ecosystem. If there is one for either one of the new records or both, um, that'd be sweet. I imagine in the future, if Frank does put out a new record, there will probably be one. I think Frank, again, I'm speculating here, but I, I right, think Frank right. maybe feels a little distant from some of the stuff that he's created, especially Blonde, because, I mean, when if you ask me about stuff that I was making during the time when I was really frustrated, like sometimes I don't really like to, to think back to those times. Cause like I, they came, you know, it's stuff that I wrote and like, it meant something to me at that time, but you can just get like, 
your memory of those things can get tarnished based on the bad experiences. So maybe there's something to it where he doesn't really want to talk about those records because of how long ago they were made and why they were put on hold for so long. If you look in the downloads, leaks, videos, etc. section of this website, which by the way is curbside.audio slash Frank, I have a whole bunch of stuff in there that has been archived, but in the past taken down by his management team at some point or another, including a bunch of like uh, footage from boys don't cry um, a bunch of promo sessions. And in fact, there's one interview where Frank kind of interviews himself in a way about the new record. And that's really all you have. If you want to listen to anything regarding blonde, that's it. That's all that's out there. And uh, it's, it's not particularly easy to find. So that's why I have it linked here. Um, I don't know. It, it's such a it's a huge question and i'm eager to to find out probably just as eager if not more than you are like i'm i want to know i'm i'm waiting for episode seven i'm not like super obsessive about it but i'm excited for what comes next but in the meantime i'm still really enjoying what's already out there and you know just as much as i've been listening to endless and i've been listening to blonde i've been listening to that mixtape that i put together too because it's a bunch of songs that even i hadn't listened to that much i've spent some time with his older mixtapes, including the unofficial one. And, uh, and I like to spend time with everything that he makes. And I think undocumented rare has some really cool examples of songs that he wrote for himself. They weren't necessarily songs that he wrote for other people. Like Orion is a really good example of that. It's written, um, for and about his brother. Right. I love that song. And, uh, back to you, which was a a song he recorded. And then, uh, there was a version with Nikki Flores, who's, uh, who's a rising star right now. She was also a songwriter around the same time that Frank was. Um, I love that song too. Like there's a bunch of really good stuff in the back catalog. So I think if you're new to Frank Ocean and you've been listening this far into the episode, um, you know, pick a place to start. Like, I think if you start at channel orange, you're in good shape. I think that's a good place to start. But if you like that and you want to get more into what he's about dig into the new stuff dig into the old stuff there's a lot of really interesting things to listen to yeah definitely and the main reason i asked about the zane low interview specifically is because coming up here it'll be four years to the day since his last interview with zane low which you have down as july 12 2013 mm-hmm. which ironically is my mom's birthday who's probably listening <laughs> to this <laughs> and you know this episode is actually going to go up on fourth of july because i forgot fourth of july was a tuesday so you know you guys will get a little holiday present from us <laughs> <laughs> so basically a week after this it'll be four years since that zane low interview so I think based on your site here, I have a lot of work to do. So (laughs) there's a lot of stuff here for me to check out. And I think, you know, maybe we don't make it a whole second episode on Frank Ocean or something. You and I will probably talk about this, but maybe we can have a conversation on, you know, the two unofficial mixtapes, the one you did in the Lonnie Bro collection. Once I manage to make my way through them, at least I want to say two or three times just so I can sort of get a better feel for them, which you know, this will take me a while. So we'll have, we'll definitely discuss those at a later date and, you know, maybe throw it up as a bonus episode here or something like that. Yeah, that could be cool. I mean, I, I, I hope that you listen to them and I hope that you like them, but you know, I don't even have that much to say about them. I love them. I, I mean, I, I think that they're great. It's it's definitely cool, but they're not necessarily the the records that I put on when I just want to listen to something. There are definitely some on on doc, undocumented rare that I like um, because those include some of the newer songs, the ones that were yeah. 
produced and, and written in the time between when he was writing for other people specifically and when he started writing for himself. Um, I think this is a good transitional record between the Lonnie Bro collection and Channel Orange and Nostalgia Ultra. I think it's a good bridge for those two things. Um, but apart from that, there's not really a whole lot you can say because like they're... It, they're not necessarily tent poles to the Frank Ocean discography. They're just sort of cool additions. You know, it's it's like the appendix to to his work. And if you like this website, check out curbside.audio/frank. There's a ton of stuff on here. Um, Deanna, you are not required to look at and watch and read and look <laughs> at every single thing on this website. I just made it as a reference for the people that really love Frank and you know, want a, one place to go to, to find everything that there is, because it's hard to find this stuff. Like you could Google around forever and, and not yeah. find it. I've just been a fan for a long time and I've been kind of hoarding these things for myself as I do. So <laughs> I'm sort of putting that stuff up there so other people can kind of dig in and, and, and kind of find the stuff that they're interested in as well. Yeah, definitely. And I probably will not go through all of it, but I definitely want to <laughs> check out some of these interviews simply because I haven't yeah. read any or listened to any of his interviews, really. And since I like his music so much, I just feel like that's something I should go back and do. Because even if some interviews might be outdated and stuff, I don't necessarily mind reading those things because it gives you a look at where they were at that point in time. And it's, uh-huh. you know hindsight sort of gives you this extra advantage when you go back and either reread or read these things for the first time. Yeah. I mean, they're fun. I was the other day, I just watched uh, the GQ man of the year party thing. And, um, and they did like a short little clip on Frank Ocean and it's kind of cool. Cause like, I mean, he's, you can't really find a lot of video of Frank just being Frank. And I think, yeah. you know, even though he's being interviewed for a pretty big thing, um, you get a little bit more of his personality, which I think differs from the moody version of him that you get on the records. And uh, if you're a fan of Frank Ocean, you kind of appreciate all sides of him. You see it both sides to reference one of his newer tracks. So there's a lot to Frank. I don't really know how to sum up how I feel about Frank Ocean, but his music <laughs> has always really resonated with me. It's been a way that I, you know, I connect to new people who are also friends or fans of Frank Ocean and you know, my sister as well. Like I said, my sister is a huge fan of Frank Ocean and it's a way that we can kind of uh, relate to each other in a way. And, and we share new music based on our love of Frank Ocean and we find new bands that are recording artists that are inspired by Frank or, or sort of sound similar to Frank and we share it in that way. So it's, it's kind of a cool way to relate to my sibling as well, which is neat. Yeah. And it's always fun for me to just talk to people who either really love and enjoy something as much as I do, or even more than I do, because then I get all of this new information on it. And clearly you are, you know, sort of the master of Frank Ocean here, as far as my friend groups go. (laughs) So (laughs) I will definitely be linking to your site and everything. And I'll link to the separate post that you did for the mixtape you made up because I know that just gives, you know, a little context on that and everything too. So we will have all sorts of links in here, but Jacob, this is a really fun conversation. I know we got off track (laughs) at times and country music made an odd appearance in here, but I think, you know, we covered a lot of stuff in this, you know, roughly hour and 20 minutes, I want to say. No, it was fun. I mean, I like your show because it's, uh, it's an opportunity to come on and talk about a lot of different stuff for a really long time. 
you know, yeah. with my show <laughs> as infrequently as it's uploaded these days. It's not often that we just stick to one topic necessarily. I usually like to talk about other people, but it's cool that you have a place for people to come on and, and talk about one subject for a really long time. Because where else am I going to talk about Frank Ocean for an hour and a half? <laughs> if not, welcome to Geekdom. So I thank you for having me on. It's been fun. Yeah, of course. And you are always welcome to come back because, you know, I definitely know when I have certain people on the podcast, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a long one. Get the big cup of water, you know, get, get extra <laughs> prepared for this podcast. <laughs> because You're I've so had wholesome, some... Deanna. You drink water during your podcast? It's so nice. Yes, I do. And I know that if I podcast with like you and Jason Tate, I have to be extra prepared because I have had, you know, smaller cups of water and I've run out and I just feel like, you know, I have to give myself a break for a while. So I don't, you know, sound totally horrible by the end of the podcast. But you know, I I come extra prepared when I have certain guests on and you're one of them. That's good. And you remind me I need to email Jason back. He emailed me about being on the show again, and I need to I need to talk to him because even though I, I've talked about Frank Ocean at length here, um, I, I want to talk about just like the idea of of archiving stuff, you know? Yeah, like and this, you do that this a Frank lot Ocean too. project that I've been working on, like, oh, I archive everything. Like, <laughs> it's amazing that I have any hard drive space left because I archive everything. It's it's not just like it's not just piracy for me, you know. I, I'm I like to to save copies of interviews from websites and. And, you know, like teaser videos and and all that kind of stuff, because it's all important to the history of of an artist if you're talking about music. And um, if I'm really devoted to something like Frank Ocean's music or, uh, you know, historically, I've been a a big documentee of uh, Roy English as well. Um, I I think it's important for certain people to obsess over something because somebody needs to because somewhere down the line, somebody else is going to obsess over that thing. But they weren't there for the original thing. You know what I mean? And right. when they're looking for that stuff and they're like, oh man, I read somewhere that there was this really cool interview with Frank Ocean and it's just not online anymore. And you can't find it because management right. takes it down or, or links die over time when blogs die. It's uh, it's an interesting conversation. And uh, I don't know, maybe I should have hit up Jason and see if I can pitch that for Chorus. I don't know. Maybe he won't want it, but it's on my mind. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, since you mentioned Roy English, you know, as someone who has an I Alaska tattoo, I think we could probably swing a <laughs> podcast on him if you ever want to do one. I always forget <laughs> about that. I forget about that. No, you wouldn't want to do that with me, even though I'm a fan. <laughs> like my the extent of my my Frank or my uh my Roy English is um I have every single track that he's ever produced, including a bunch of stuff that he would not like to admit to every recording. <laughs> So he wouldn't like it if you came on the podcast no, is what you're saying. No, he wouldn't. And you know what? I don't I don't have any beef with with Roy English at all. I'm a really big fan, but I think he he goes maybe out of his way to to not exalt like not acknowledge me. Like I've been there for a long time. I've been writing about like I Alaska and then all of his solo stuff as soon as Canary Dynasty started. I was on top of that. Right. I wrote a lot about Canary Dynasty and and Roy on under the gun and then summit substream as well but i don't think he likes the fact that i (laughs) i have a bunch of his old stuff and there's a possibility that i might put that out there at some point and there i've made the conscious decision not to because it seems like that's something he doesn't want but yeah that's a that's pretty much the extent of of what i can even say about roy english i just (laughs) poured all this stuff Well, I know who to come to if I ever have questions about him off the air, of course. <laughs> yeah, maybe off the air. 
<laughs> yeah awesome all right well that wraps it up again thank you jacob for coming on anytime and to our listeners as always thank you guys for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day cheers